welcome you back this evening as we continue in our series of God's Amazing Grace. And we're really looking at, attempting to look at grace in an everyday sense, not just in the eternal sense, and the thinking about the men and women to whom God gave and showed His unmerited favor. And I know that uh, it's kind of a little bit of a bigger crowd tonight, and I'm sure that's because you're very excited. This lesson on Hagar and Ishmael has nothing to do with a new member dinner and all the good food prepared. So I realize, I realize you're a captive audience, and, and, uh, but I've, I've got competition, and that competition, I will not keep you from the good food. I want to ask you, technical moment here. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I think we have um, double check here. I believe we're good. I think we got the right ones. We just uh, had the, the first one, so we're good. You were worried. I was worried. <laughs> I'm going to do this off the cuff, and uh, you're not getting out of here early if I'm doing it off the cuff. Okay, <laughs> let me ask you, have you ever been wronged unfairly? Have you ever been treated unjustly or in an unfair way? Have you ever found yourself in a position where you were receiving, receiving the consequences of someone else's actions that were not rightfully deserved by you? Uh, my guess is that if you are a human being, the answer at some point in your life has been in the affirmative uh, certainly, if you have siblings that you grew up with, there was a time when you got blamed for something someone else did. Certainly, there was probably a time in school when you were just an innocent bystander, but you got pulled in. Certainly, there was probably a time when you were on the job, and the supervisor blamed you for something that happened that really didn't come from you. If you're a human being, it's part of the... Part of the deal. I think it's part of living in a broken world, living with broken people, not having a perfect way to figure those things out. The good news, uh, well, the bad news is, of course, we will all have those occasions. They're not good. They're not fun. Um, if you ever told your parents that life is not fair or that a situation is not fair, I hope they responded with life is not fair. That's a good life lesson. That's a good training moment. You probably didn't appreciate it at the time, but it's really true. I remember when I was probably 16 or 17. I hadn't been driving long, but I was driving. And I was going down the road, and what I swear to this day, what, I, what I'm... And there's a lot of things about Judgment Day that I, I'm curious about, but I really hope this moment gets a flashback, because I really want to know. But I swear, I was driving south of Derby on K-15, and the speed limit changes there. And I, I noted the speed limit. I knew they had police officers that sat there. And I'm sure that I slowed down. But I got pulled over. Red and blue, red and blue. This is the first time I'd ever got a ticket. So my, my, my inexperience in youth certainly showed. Um, I was very respectful to the officer. I tried to make my case. But he was not having it. He had a quota to fill. So, I decided I would have my day in court, because this injustice would not stand. 
I know that I was doing 40 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone. But the police officer said I was doing 47. Now, honestly, I believe to this day in all good conscience that I was doing 40 miles an hour. I wasn't just trying to get out of a ticket. I was very attentive to the laws. I decided I would get my day in court. I got my day in court and I waited. I remember I wore a full suit. I mean, I was Brian Middleton. I mean, I looked good. Sat there, very respectful, paid attention, listened thoughtfully, attentively. I had... I'll forget, some guy asked me if I was a lawyer, if I could represent him. I was like, you don't want that. <laughs> I sat there, I waited my turn. Now, now the uh, prosecuting attorney for the city came up while I was waiting and said, listen, we would really, uh, you know, we're trying to move some cases through, you know, if, we're going to offer you a plea deal if you would like to take that. Now, this was an unjust ticket. And I was determined to have justice. And so I said, no, thank you. I, I would like to go for the judge because I believe that I was doing 40 miles an hour and 47, and 47 it was not my speed, somebody else's, or problem with the gun, I don't know. I had had my vehicle tested to make sure the speedometer, what it read was exactly the speed that it had done. I had gone through everything that I could think of to try to make my case as strong as it could be. And then I got up to face the judge. And it occurred to me, as we're kind of going through this, that this is really a, more of a formality. Uh, he doesn't see the injustice that I see. He says, well, you know, they pull the officer in. He testifies. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even remember me. I mean, he just, he just reading up. Yes, yes, that was it. And I tuck clock him at 47. And yes. And, you know, the book says pretty much open and shut. Boom. So I not only got to pay the ticket, but the court costs. That was a joy in my life. And I walked out of there fuming. And I won't tell you the rest of the story about my attitude towards speed limits after that. Because what I believe happened in that moment was I was treated unfairly. The after story is, it was a few months later, and I was delivering pizzas in Derby, and I pulled to a stop sign, and I stopped, and I went through the stop sign after I stopped, and the police officer pulled me over, and it was the same guy. And I saw him walk up, and he saw me, and I was, he said, I'm going to let you off on this one. I mean, he was just trying to contain his laughter, which I didn't think it was too funny, but... Um, if you've ever been in a situation like that, where you honestly will go to your deathbed believing you were innocent and you were wronged unfairly. You can identify very much with tonight's character. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 16. And we learn the story of a woman who we don't hear much about. But I think her story is important. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the Scriptures. Genesis chapter 16. And before we can get to the story, we kind of have to read and understand a little bit of the backstory. Chapter 16, starting verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. You remember from the previous lesson, I hope, that God had promised them a child. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, 
May it, and it may, shall, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and, went to, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And so Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and he shall bear a son, call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone hand against him. He shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. Some translations say, You are a God who sees. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him. Who looks after me? This is kind of the backstory, the beginning of bad blood between Sarai and her servant Hagar. Of course, this is a cultural thing that we have a very hard time understanding in our Western world, where uh, we understand and, and don't look too kindly upon slavery and, and uh, servitude, and especially in this form, it doesn't really make sense to us why Sarai would take something that God had promised and tried to take charge of it herself and make that promise fulfilled. God would say it, but she would fulfill it. I mean, I know we don't do that today at all. We don't take God's promises and, and try to make them happen ourselves. We don't try to force our way. We don't make suggestions to God. We don't ask questions of God. We don't have conversations with God. We don't doubt God's all-knowing, all-powerful ways ever, do we? God had made a promise to Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, it was not only a promise, it was promised multiple times. It was made in chapter 15. God makes the covenant. You see you there over in your Bible in chapter 15. It says God's covenant with Abraham. Sarah gets involved to help God out in chapter 16. Now, how much time elapsed, we don't know precisely. But she gets involved because she feels that maybe God, maybe she's not part of this plan. Maybe Abram, Abram is, but she is not. This promise, by the way, is going to be reaffirmed in chapter 17, affirmed by angels in chapter 18. Isaac's going to be born in chapter 21. Abram's going to be tested to offer that son of promise in chapter 22. In chapter 23, Sarah's going to die, and in chapter 26, it's going to be renewed again. This promise supersedes even Sarai or as her later would, name would later become, Sarah. So the, the, in chapter 16, Sarah had no children. She believes God had closed her womb. Ten years after the promise, <clears throat> she conceives a plan for Abram to conceive a child with Hagar. Abram does so. Hagar gets pregnant. Drama ensues. Strange as that would happen. I can't imagine such a thing. 
Hagar despises Sarai. Sarai gets upset at Abram. Abram's stuck in the middle. Abram says, listen, she's your servant. You do with her as you will. You do whatever you seem, whatever seems right to you. And so she does. She deals harshly with her. How dare you? Hagar flees to the wilderness. An angel finds her by the spring and tells her to return. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in Hagar's shoes at that moment, I'm not exactly sure that I see the justice and the purpose of God in her telling me to return to a, a servant, who, a, a, a mistress who had completely, totally abused the master-servant relationship and had despised her and, and had mistreated her. Of course, Sarah would have her own version of the story, I'm sure. But in that moment, the angel gives her a blessing. Hagar calls, Hagar calls the Lord the one who sees. Abram is 86 years old. Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, which the word means he hears, which I think is pretty good, at least as, as it appertains to the story. He's born of a bigamous marriage to a foreign slave. They're outcast, both he and his mother, from family and country. Uh, they will, Ishmael, of course, will later go on to be head of another great nation that will be a thorn in the side of Israel for many years. The Ishmaelites, a wild donkey of a man with his hand against everyone. My understanding is that in the Jewish people and the uh, Muslim people, they both trace their ancestry back to Abram, except the Jews go through Isaac and the Muslims, say, trace their lineage back to Ishmael. I don't know if that's true, if that how accurate that genealogy is, but it certainly explains a lot, if it is, about the state of our world affairs. Not anything new, by the way. Okay, so give you that as a little bit of backstory so that we can understand five chapters later in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. If you're following along, let's read together. Rather, let me read. You listen. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abram, Abraham made a great feast on the day. By the way, this is the Isaac, the, the child that would come from Abram and Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God just said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she says, for, for Isaac shall your... For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took a bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar and put it on her shoulder. And along with the child sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on, on the death of a child. As she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept, and, the, and God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? 
Fear not, for as God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran with his mother and, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So let's break this down quickly and see what we can learn as we uh, put chapter 21, verses 8 through, chapter 21, 8 through 21 under a lens. Sarah saw Ishmael laughing. This was at Isaac's party. It was a custom in the Near East to celebrate the weaning of the child around age two or three as a milestone in going from infancy to childhood. Kind of an interesting part of their culture and, and uh, a big event. I was talking to Tyler this last week. Tyler just turned 13. I was explaining to him the ritual of the Bar Mitzvah where a, a Jewish young man is no longer considered a child but a man and how... You know, how big of an event that is, how different cultures have these milestones. This was a milestone in Isaac's life, and certainly probably a milestone for Sarah and Abraham, too, because they were realizing the, the reality of God's promise taking hold. The, the boy that was named Isaac called laughter when they laughed because they couldn't believe or didn't know how God was going to accomplish it, but, he, but they believed that he would. Isaac is this sort of amazed laughter, and... In the story, we're told that Ishmael is laughing as well. Now, the Jewish writing, be it was way, this is probably a play on words, but Isaac's la- Ishmael's laughing is a different type of laughing than their laughter. It was a, a laughing of mockery and ridicule. You know there had to be a lot of sibling rivalry. If Isaac is two or three years old, Ishmael has got to be 16 or 17 years old at the time. I, Ishmael has no doubt been a very blessed child, having to return to live under Abrams and who was very prosperous and blessed, as we've talked about before. But he gets to this point and he may not fully understand that God's going to bring nations from both. Sarah is upset by the laughing and the mockery. I can't understand a mother getting mad at some other child making fun of her child. That would never happen in today's world. Certainly would never happen with siblings. Sarai and Hagar continue to have their ongoing rivalry, and this is the final straw. Heard the adage, I'm sure, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Well, even greater than that is uh, Mama Bear who's been scorned. She's going to unleash her fury on Hagar and the boy. She tells Abram, kick the woman out. Though they were once... This is interesting to me. They were once part of Sarah's plan, but now her plan posed a threat to her. Sometimes we get in our own way. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. So she says specifically, he shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Not just physically, but remove this boy, this woman, from any rights to inheritance or blessing. Abraham here is in a tough spot. He's got two sons. One son, Isaac, God's plan. One son, Ishmael, Sarah's plan. But God would still use it. God would still take care of them. As a righteous man and as a father, his head is surely in a battle with his heart. God understands the struggle. 
don't know if you're flipping in your Bible back and forth, but if you want to, turn over and scroll to Galatians chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. Paul uses this understanding of the difference between the two boys to make it a, an apparent comparison between serving under the old covenant of the law and the new covenant of freedom and grace. Paul wrote, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. Several times, Abraham trusted God to keep his promise in spite of his problems. Flip on over to Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abram knew he was powerless. He didn't have the power. Sarah didn't have the power. God had the power, and he was fully persuaded. And so what did Abraham do? He sent Hagar packing. God understands Abraham's plight, and he delivers to them a perfect redemptive plan. Listen to Sarah. Isaac is my blessing it is the blessing I'm giving to you, and trust in my plan, trust in my care. So, so Sarah had kind of messed this up, I'm, but God's still going to use it. Sarah messed this up, and two innocent people are suffering as a result. God will work his plan, the Israelites, the descendants of Abram and Isaac, and he will make amends for Sarah's plan. Nations will come from both sons. There's this true grace being shown here to Sarah, to Abraham, to Hagar, and to Ishmael. If you're still in Romans, you want to go over to Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> it is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, not because... They are his descendants, for they are all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Now, he's making a greater point connecting Abraham's seed. You know, we, Father Abraham, many sons, you've got to go that. Okay, so he's saying that we're connected to that by faith, part of a larger part of, of, of the theological work of Romans here, but he's making a point. Between the, regarding the sons of Abraham. Israel and Ishmael will always have an adversarial relationship. Remember the story of Joseph that we'll get to here toward the end of, toward the end of uh, Genesis. It was Joseph who was sold into slavery, and the one he was sold into slavery was the Ishmaelites. Abraham, in obedience to God, immediately, as he often does, 
not, not pondering, not wondering, just trusting the Lord, immediately sends Hagar to the wilderness of Beersheba, a vast desert with only bread and water and each other. Now, for as, as blessed as Abraham was, in my mind, it's sort of a reasonable question to ask, why in the world did he not give them more supplies? Was this a death wish? Was, you know, what was happening here? I think Abraham is, in fact, showing his faith and trust in the Lord. He was going to take care of them. Abram was this instant obedience kind of guy. I love this. And we'll go to it in Genesis 22. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. This is Isaac's story now. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a, mount offering, a mount, mountain I will show you. And so in verse 3 it says of chapter 22, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I heard, heard an interesting thought this morning, or this afternoon. I'm still kind of pondering it. The teacher said that sloth, we get the idea that sloth is, is um, a laziness, that I just um, lay on the couch and want net, watch Netflix all day. And there's kind of an element to that. But there's another part of sloth, which is I know what God has called me to do. I know that I need to yield in obedience and faithfulness to what he's called me to do in his word and yet I make excuses and fail to do it. That also is sloth. Certainly far removed from Abraham. He was not slothful at all. He heard God, he listened to God, and he did what God said early the next morning. He didn't waste any time. They wandered until the water was gone. Hagar and her son. And they gave up. They thought this was the end. She puts Ishmael under a shade of the tamarisk tree and she left him to die. They both cried and they wept. And what did God do about all this? Well, God heard their crying. God heard their plight. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 86:15, You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 31 and following. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief... He will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. He sends a servant to help, an angel. What troubles you, Hagar? Which is a hilarious, obvious question. What in the world do you think is troubling me? I got nothing left. I'm going to die. I'm going to watch my child die. This is terrible. Fear not. God has heard the boy up, he says. In the midst of fear, in the midst of feeling like you've lost, feeling like there's nowhere else to go, in desperation, you may cry out to the Lord. And I can imagine Him saying to you, Up, up, get up. I have a work for you to do. I have purpose for your life. I've heard you, but you've got to get up. You've got to move on. You can't just give up. You've got to go up. Now remember that the word Ishmael means God hears. And God hears. God had heard them before this moment in chapter 17, which we didn't review. Verse 18 and following. These words are written. Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God said, yes, but your, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, verse 20 of Genesis 17, I have heard you. And catch that again. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. 
I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers and I will make him into a great nation. So God either provides a well or he opens their eyes to see one that they didn't see. Another act of grace. God was with the boy just like he was with the boy's father. They lived away from civilization. He became a great bow hunter and Mama Hagar takes him back to Egypt to find a wife for her home, homeland. Three simple takeaways I can think we can take from this unusual story. But one I think that we can all relate to at some point or another. I think we've all maybe not been in Hagar's exact position, probably not, but can identify with the struggle of being in a position that you got through through really no fault of your own, through actions of someone else that led you to that point, that got you to that place, and you wonder, does God care? Does God hear? He does. Number one, grace is for runaways. A runaway plan and a runaway people is how I define that. Sarah thought she had this idea that it was going to work out, and it caused all these problems for another three or four chapters in the Bible, and of course all of Abraham's life. He was stuck between Ishmael and Isaac, this plan had unintended consequences and created a, a runaway people. Now, I know you think that your family has dysfunction and strife, and I don't mean to belittle that. It surely does. But let me tell you that God still works in the lives of those who love Him and even in the dysfunction of their broken families. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 is a famous gift on grace, but I want you to put it in this lens of the story. For it is by grace you have been saved. Hagar was saved by God's grace. Ishmael was saved by God's grace. But more than that, Abram was saved by God's grace. And so was Sarah and so was Isaac. They were all delivered, not because of what they did, but because of what God was doing. They were all saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Often God works in spite of us. He gave Abraham what he was too old to conceive. He gave Sarah what her heart was too hard to believe. And he gave Hagar hope that she could not achieve on her own. Second lesson, God keeps his promises. I know, I know intellectually, reasonably, a Sunday night crowd is supposed to believe that. We understand that. We're going to nod our head. We're going to say amen. But there comes a time when you wonder... Does God really hear me? Does God know? Does God understand? Psalm 145 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all He promises and faithful in all He does. First John chapter 2, the New Testament side of this. As for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us. Eternal life. God's promise to them was a promise of grace that they couldn't achieve on their own, that God was going to have to work out. Certainly in the story of Hagar and Ishmael we see that. But it's true in our story as well. You may think, well, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. What does that have to do with me? Maybe you have a child, maybe you have a grandchild who isn't. And you wonder if God hears, if God understands, if God cares Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you and with them and with the whole world, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God keeps his promise and he's patient enough to do so. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, point 3. God hears his people. 
He really does. You may think he's silent. You may wonder. I'm one of seven and a half billion people. Does he possibly hear? And if he hears, is he in the least concerned? He is. He's not forgotten about you. And may I encourage you not to not forget about him. Psalm 34, verse 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. And he delivers them from all their troubles. I know it's an unusual story, one hard for us to relate to, but may we not forget these three promises that were true for Hagar, true for Ishmael, and true for us. May we not forget him. Tonight, I want to call you to an invitation to tell you that God is ready, that God is waiting on you. The greatest blessing that God gave us was Christ. The blessing began with Abraham. If you think about it, his faith made faith possible. If it weren't for Abraham's faith, we wouldn't be here today. Because faith would not be possible had, had the father of faith not exhibited that faith. Will you trust and obey immediately as, the Lord, as, as Abraham did with the Lord? Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave what is comfortable and familiar and go out into a world not knowing where he went to create a new people of God. And even though there was messes and dysfunction in the plan, God still worked the plan. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he would receive his inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Tonight I ask you, do you know where you're going? Are you letting God call you and direct you? Are you listening to him? Are you obeying him, his call tonight? If you have not done so, I want to encourage you to meet me down front. I'd love to encourage you and pray with you, study with you. you need to. Maybe you know what you need to do and you've just been reluctant in doing so. And if you're finally ready to yield, knowing that God hears and he cares and he's waiting, won't you yield tonight? Whatever your need might be, please come as we stand and sing.